So about a year ago, I took a spiritual gifts assessment. Has anyone ever taken one of these? It's basically, I see a hand. It's basically a test that you kind of fill out some answers to some questions and you get back your top three spiritual gifts. Now, I had never taken one before, like I said, and so then the top two things on my list didn't turn out to be much of a surprise to me. I kind of figured they were going to be what they were. But the third one floored me. It was a spiritual gift of evangelism. It floored me that this was a spiritual gift of mine. I had no idea. Now, when I say evangelism, what image comes to mind? Let me tell you what comes to mind when I think of evangelism. The first thing I think of, and I have some pictures here, is door-to-door witnessing. Now, when I was young, my dad would don on a tie, and every Tuesday night, he would go to church with the other guys, and they would go door-to-door sharing about Jesus with the neighborhood. And they would explain the Romans road, a succinct path through Romans on how to be saved. This end goal, besides donuts back at the church at the end, was for the person to accept Christ, to pray the prayer of salvation, and then hopefully join the church. I was terrified that my dad would one day ask me to go with him door to door. The thought terrified me. So this is the most prolific memory or image that comes to my mind when I think of evangelism. Now, the second one is kind of similar to it. Um, It is what I call the street corner evangelist. Now, this is a picture that I took in Chicago this summer when I was there. And what I like to think of the street corner evangelist is someone holding up a sign. This one says, trust Jesus. Or I've also seen it where they have a bullhorn and they're just preaching. And they're just waiting for people to come and confront them or talk to them. And I love to sit back and just kind of watch the whole scene unfold because it's really interesting to me. But let me tell you, folks, this is not me. I have never stood on a street corner and proclaimed Jesus, and the thought terrifies me. Now, the third image that comes to my mind when I think of evangelism, this one's kind of harsh, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I waited tables in college to put myself through school, and I waited on a couple every single week, and they'd come in, but instead of a tip, they would leave me a Bible track. Now, if you don't know what these are, I have a picture of them. They're little pamphlets, and they have a message, and a lot of times they explain to you who Jesus is and how to be saved, and I have nothing against these pamphlets. They can be quite effective, but what this couple did frustrated me. First, because I was trying to put myself through school, and I needed money, not a Bible track. Okay? And secondly, they never once asked me anything about where I was spiritual. spiritually. They didn't care. It was evident to me, being on the receiving end, that they didn't care about that. It was more of a conscience thing on their end, that they just had to be covered and slip in this Bible track to me. So that's another vivid image that comes to my mind when I think of evangelism. So here's my summary. To be an evangelist, you have to be bold, confrontational, and irritating. (laughs) And I assure you, I am none of those things. So that's my conclusion. Has anyone else come to the same conclusion? When the spiritual gift of evangelism showed up on my list, it surprised me, needless to say. So for me, I had to just redefine what that meant and look at it in a different context than the context I grew up with. I had to redefine and look at what it meant for me to have the gift of evangelism. So that is what I'm going to share with you today. So we're in the third and final week of a series on evangelism called See, Serve, and Speak. Now, last week, Dave was here talking to you about sharing Christ using words. 
which is very important. And the week before, Ed was here sharing with you on how to evangelize and share Christ within the context of service. And I caught that message last week, and it was powerful and beautiful. But this week, I'm going to share with you on how to share Christ with just being present and noticing and seeing people and meeting them where they're at in the context of friendship. I want you to understand that the good news of Jesus is meant to be shared with everybody because the gospel is the power of God. But the best way we can do that was with in the context of how God wired us individually. Um, we can share Christ within a natural way by just pulling out a few patterns from Jesus's life that we can emulate. So we're going to look at an account from Jesus's life with one of these examples that he did this and where he went out of his way to minister to somebody who was in need. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 4 with me. Otherwise, you can follow along on screen. The verses will be up there. And hopefully, this is a familiar passage of Scripture to many of you in this room. It is the story of the woman at the well. So before I start, I want to give you kind of an overview of the story so we all start from the same place. Jesus and his disciples are going back to Galilee. To get there, they have to pass through Samaria. Now, Samaria is an important piece of, there's an important piece of real estate in Samaria, which is a well, because it came from uh, their father Jacob. So this is a very important piece of real estate to both the Jews and the Samaritans. And Jesus goes to the well and just sits down at this landmark, and he waits. And along comes a woman to draw water. And they start having this conversation, and he reaches out and starts talking to her, and and uh He sees her, and in verse 10, and this is kind of what he says. If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. Such a strange statement. Jesus is just there talking to this lady, and they're going back and forth on how unusual it is that he's even talking to her because she's a Samaritan and a woman, and out of the blue, Jesus starts talking about living water. Like, what is that? And as I read this account, I just thought, man, this is bizarre. Throughout the whole account, Jesus says things that don't even fit with the conversation being had. They go back and forth, and the topic concludes with this idea that the woman wants this living water. Now, two weeks ago, I was at a coffee shop during my lunch hour. I kind of spend my lunch hours doing that. And a friend of mine, who I haven't seen in probably six years, walks in. So I run over and chat with her, and uh, it's evident she's just having a bad day. And two years prior, her baby had passed away. And so that day, she received a letter from Social Security, and she got it, and all of these emotions just flooded back. Like, she knew the date was coming up, and she was prepared, but then she got this letter, and she was just, they, they just frustrated her, just overwhelmed her. So we just chatted for a bit, and then I started packing up my bag to leave, But before I left, she stopped me and wanted to pray for me. Now, I had been going through a lot of hard times myself. I was frustrated. I was discouraged. I was in this place of sadness. And all the time I was thinking, why does nobody notice this? I'm struggling here, but nobody seems to care or notice what I'm going through. And so my friend stops me and wants to pray for me. And I was in a desperate situation, so I agreed. And we're in the middle of the shop, and she just puts her hands on me and just starts praying for me, this Holy Spirit-saturated prayer. And in the midst of it, the coffee shop disappeared, and peace just flooded me, 
And she started praying and addressing the things I hadn't shared with anybody. It was like God was speaking right through her, right to my heart. And I walked out of that coffee shop thinking, you are the God who sees me. You know what I'm going through. You know all of my pain when nothing is said. And you know and you're there. And you know what I'm going through. Isn't that what happened at the well when Jesus went to the woman? They started talking and he noticed her. And he knew she was in a hard time and she just, he just started talking to her. He reached out to her in that situation. How many times do we see people hurting and in desperate situations? And all we need to do is just notice and be there and love them and extend kindness to them in the midst of that. This is what Jesus did. This is the first pattern that we can emulate from his life. He saw the woman and he just reached out to her. He went out of his way for the individual. This is one of the most powerful ways I have found to share Christ in the context of friendship. It's by noticing a person and simply loving them and addressing their need to be noticed. I encountered to, uh, responded to a powerful encounter with God, and so did the woman at the well. And people will respond when you notice them too, because people respond to authenticity. So the conversation with the woman progresses, and Jesus goes on to explain a little bit more about this water. And then in the middle, he stops and he tells her, hey, go call your husband and tell him to come back. At this, a woman, what should, could she reply? She had no husband. And that's what she said. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, you're right. You have no husband. The fact is, is you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you said is quite true. Now, this seems a little condemning to me. It seems like Jesus is just calling her out on her sin. She's living with a guy, and he's just throwing it down. And yet, this is how she responds. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Now, do you ever wonder why the woman was there at noon? Do you ever wonder what she was doing alone at this well? Because you see, in this day, women went to the well in the morning, and it was a very social thing. They'd all meet up, chat, exchange lives. And incidentally, this is where the modern-day practice of gossiping at the water cooler came from. They all meet there and just, it would be a social hour while they're doing their chores and taking their water back to their family. So the mere fact that this woman is there at the hottest part of the day when nobody is around shows you how much of an outcast she was. She was probably ridiculed in public. She was probably the subject of kids' cruelty. Everywhere she went, she was pointed at and laughed at. And the fact that she was living with the guy probably shows you the extent of her situation, right? She needed the protection of a home but had no power to marry again. It was a desperate situation for her and probably not 100% by choice that she was in the situation. And then Jesus shows up. He's there for her. He sees her. He goes out of his way. And in the midst, he sees her situation too. So I don't believe his words condemned her. He was just noticing it and just speaking frankly about the situation that she was in. And through it, he noticed her need to be accepted and loved and noticed. And as he sat back and conversed with her, she could tell there was something different about him, something that he noticed that nobody else did. Sir, I can see you're a prophet. 
Now, when I got married, my husband was not a Christian. Uh, now, he grew up in a church. His parents were pastors. So Christianity to him equated with cleaning the church, printing bulletins on the weekend, endless choir practices, among uh, every four years being yanked from their school and their town and their home and being moved to another town because the denomination moved them so so much and had to make new friends. And this existed his whole entire growing up. So he wore the scars of being a PK and Christianity equated to countless hours of service. And he didn't want any part of it when he was an adult. And that was evident early on. But during the first years of our marriage, he's a police officer and he was stuck on third shift. So many years he was on third shift. And what that shift consisted of was drunks, bar fights, violence, calls to homes where horrible things were happening, calls to homes to deal with the aftermath of murder and abuse and drunkenness and fights, among other things. It consisted of sleeping when the rest of the world was awake and being tired all the time. It consisted with growing cynical at the world and his outlook at the world just became bleak and very cynical. And everything came to a head in 2006 because he was fed up and he was struggling deeply at work and he desired to leave and do something else, but had no course of action to do that. And he felt stuck and lost and hurting. And have you ever had someone that you know who's going through that? It's painful to watch. I can't remember how all of this came to be, but we started reading The Purpose Driven Life together. And so every night before he left for work, he would read one of the days by Rick Warren. It came out about that time. He would read one of the days, um, chapters, and then we'd talk about it. So we got to day seven, the reason for everything. And he read these words. Right now, God is inviting you to live a life for his glory by fulfilling the purpose he's made you for. It's really the only way to live. Everything else is just existing. Life begins by committing yourself completely to Jesus Christ. If you're not sure you've done this, then all you need to do is receive and believe. The Bible promises to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Will you accept God's offer? And he read that, and he looked at me, and he said, Julie, I see how you live your life. I see how you have peace in the midst of every situation we face. And if that is because of Christ, then yes, I will accept that offer. And in that moment, he bowed his head and he closed his eyes and he prayed and invited Christ into his life that day. And it was beautiful. It was the happiest day of my life. Here's the thing. Yes, it took time. And yes, it was hard watching him struggle the way he did, knowing that I had the life, words of life that could just impart life in that situation. But just having to be present and being true to who God is in me and living my life with Christ living through me in the midst of those situations. That is the most effective way that I knew how to share Christ's love in that hard situation by just living faithfully and letting Christ live through me. His own words confirmed that in the middle of unrest, he could see that there was something different about me. And it was something that he desperately needed. This is what Jesus did with the woman at the well. She said, sir, I can see you're a prophet. I can see there's something different about you. I see there's something real in you. And there's something I need from you. 
This is the second pattern to emulate from Jesus's life. Jesus saw her situation and addressed the need to be noticed. And then he waited, which earned him the right to reveal who he was to her when the time came. Now, I love this part of the story because I see this so much in people. The woman just starts asking questions. They're having this intense conversation, and then she just stops and starts asking random questions. Um, Have you ever experienced this? You're just, somebody's like, okay, we're getting too deep. I need to deflect this and ask something else. This is what the woman does. He goes out of his way for her and talking to her, and then she just wants to debate trivial things. She stops him and goes, oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, you guys say, where should we worship God? You guys say it's in Jerusalem. We say it's here. Who's right? Now, this is what Jesus does. He does answer her question, but then he reveals something else amazing in the midst of it. In verse 23, Jesus' reply is this. A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father speaks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. So he basically puts an end to this argument. He reveals a new and amazing way to worship God. And so the only way she can respond to this is by hinting at the right question. The question she should be asking. The woman says, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Hint, hint, hint. And then Jesus says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus saw the opportunity and then reveals himself to the woman in a very intimate way. Now, did you know that this is the first instance in the gospel where Jesus reveals himself as God using the words, I am. And this is what he reveals to the woman the complete outcast. They have an amazing conversation, and Jesus cuts through the questions to the heart of the question that needs to be asked. He sees the the opportunity, and he takes it. Now, I had an encounter like this about a month ago, and I think the last time I was here this summer, I shared a story of my sister and her arduous journey to pass the dental board's exam. Now, if you missed that, no worries. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the patient that we took with us um, to take the dental exams. Now, if... um, Her name was Candy, and she was amazing. As you can imagine, we spent two days up in Minneapolis. So you can imagine if you don't know a person that you're taking away for the weekend, it can be a little awkward. All those hours in a car, eating all these meals together, and basically being thrown together nonstop for two days. But right from the start, Candy was amazing. We had awesome conversations. She was funny, and we just all got along great. Uh, When we got back to town after all of that happened, Candy thanked us For the weekend, she said, I just never felt so spoiled and loved in my entire life. You guys just really blessed me. And me and my sister were thinking, wow, I mean, you just really blessed us. We just wanted to make this weekend special for you because, I mean, who in the world would want to go up and sit through a six-hour dental exam? Like, no one. Fast forward a few weeks to a backyard barbecue. We gave it so that we could all hang out again. And we spent the day talking, eating, and having fun. And then later, we're sitting around a bonfire, and Candy starts asking questions. Now, these were random, unimportant questions. She was asking about the Nephilim giants in Genesis 6. I have been around a long time, and I have never once been asked this question. Unimportant questions. But question after question like this came. And then I just felt like the Lord speak to me. He said, stop answering these unimportant questions and ask the, answer the question she has yet to ask. Tell her about me. 
And so I did. I saw the opportunity to share with her about Christ, what he did for me and how he's made a difference in my life. And it was not elegant, but it was natural. And the thing is, there was no altar call. There was no prayer of salvation. There was no invitation to join the church. It was simply one person sharing the hope they have in Christ with another in a very natural way. Isn't this what happened at the well with the woman? Didn't Jesus just sit back, wait, have a conversation, and then naturally when it arose, he revealed who he was? Wasn't it done in a natural and not forced way? See, sometimes we shy away from sharing Christ with others because we're afraid of these questions that we're going to be asked, and we're afraid if we don't know the answer, then that disqualifies us from sharing Christ effectively. But just do what Jesus did in that situation. Just answer the question that needs to be asked. And the question is, who is Jesus and who is he to me? That is the most powerful way to share the good news of Jesus. Now, let's look at kind of the results of all of this. We'll look at the big picture results. When uh, after all of this encounter, the woman ran to the town and she started telling about her encounter with Jesus. And in verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Now, this was beautiful. The woman had an encounter with God, and in result of her encounter, it became the town's encounter with God. He stayed with them, and many more believed. Then they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We have now heard for ourselves and we know that this man is really the savior of the world. Beautiful. Here's my short and simple summary from this account. Because we can learn a lot from the disciples who were off in town buying food the entire time. And then when they came back, they saw Jesus talking to the woman at the well and they were shocked and scandalized. Now, these guys had been with Jesus long enough to know he was different and he noticed things that other people didn't and that he put himself in situations that other people didn't. But they were scandalized and couldn't understand why he was talking to her. And this is what he said to them in verse 35. He said, don't you have a saying as four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the harvest. Look at the field. It is ripe for harvest. Friends, This is my encouragement to you and me today. Let's simply open our eyes and notice those around us. Many of us are just hanging on, needing to be noticed, needing to be cared for, and just being present and sharing your life with others may win us the opportunity to share what Christ has done for us when the time is right. So here's my suggestion on how to be prepared for when that opportunity comes. First, Pray for a sensitivity to see people, to really see them. Pray for discernment to know where they're at on their journey so you can minister to them when the time's right, just like my friend did for me in that coffee shop. Secondly, pray for God to help you live faithfully before others so that your life will look different to those around you and it will look way different than the world. And it will give you an opportunity because someone will ask about it, just like my husband asked of me. And lastly, pray for an opportunity and pray that you'll notice the opportunity when it's presented, that you'll see through all the noise and answer the question that needs answered. Who is Christ and who is Christ to me? 
and pray for the courage to do it. And Christ Christ will bless that. This is the most powerful way to share Christ. So in closing, my idea of evangelism has been redefined. The thought no longer terrifies me. It is simply sharing Jesus with others in the context of friendship in a natural way by noticing the needs of others and then just living faithfully before the world, which sometimes provides the opportunity to impart words. So if you came today with this idea of evangelism and sharing Jesus and it terrifies you, then I just want to encourage you to redefine what that means in your own life. Redefine what it means in your heart and find a natural way that fits with your personality and the giftings God's given you, and he's going to bless that. And he'll also give you the strength to do it when the time's right. The good news of Jesus is meant to be shared because the gospel is the power of God. And may you find hope and encouragement in what I shared today. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your son. I thank you that this good news of him is too great to be kept so that you announced it with angels and you made a big deal of him coming into the world to save us. God, I just pray for a sensitivity to see people in need, to see their situations and where they're at, and then to respond by genuinely loving and noticing them. God, help us to live faithfully before others so that they see you in us. God, give us the courage when asked for us to be able to share the hope we have in you in a natural way. God, we just pray all of these things in your blessed son Jesus' name. Amen.